Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian. Those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. We are on the breakdown. Scott, how's it going today? Excellent, Jamie. Glad to be here again. And again, um, thanks to Dana Barrows Basketball Club for allowing us to commit and produce and direct the show. Uh, Dana, uh, Travis, Stephanie, and Austin for opening the doors this morning. Uh, nice to see you, Jamie. Before we jump into our next team, North Carolina, let's first introduce ourselves, let the people know who they are listening to. My name is... Jamie Shaw, National Recruiting Analyst, Rock.com, Senior Writer for Heat Check College Basketball. Also, I have one of the largest, uh, most sought-after NCAA-compliant scouting recruiting services uh, in the country. Scott, tell them about yourself. So, uh, Jamie, I've had a chance to coach at every level of basketball. And, um, you know, along the way, you know, during this podcast and obviously all these shows, um, you know, we'd like to share some of the real experiences that occurred, uh, starting from when I was a head prep school coach, um, you know, all the way up the, the ranks through the Division One ranks, the minor league ranks, the NBA ranks, um, to where we are today. So, um, you know, with that said, you know, there is a, a special, you know, story that it relates to North Carolina. I know today is a North Carolina preview, and at some point, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that um, in my experiences of being a prep school head coach when the University of North Carolina was actually recruiting one of our guys. Yep, and as you mentioned today, we're going to jump into for our fifth installment, University of North Carolina. But before we jump into them, I ask that you, the listener, go ahead and take a look back at the four previous installments that we have. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel, wherever you're listening to it at, whether it be the podcast or on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to us, rate it five stars, and give the previous installments a listen as well. Um, this is our fifth one, as we mentioned, with UNC. Jumping into UNC, though, they have a ton of tradition. You have Roy Williams, who won three national titles there, went to five Final Fours, uh, 485 wins over 18 years, 16 to 17 tournaments. Uh, he went to Dean Smith previously before that, two national titles, 11 Final Fours. Scott, you talked about a story that you had about their recruiting when you were a prep school coach. How, you know, how was it interacting with the staff at UNC? And, and let us know a little bit about the, their recruiting prowess. Jamie, it was, it, it was a long time ago. I mean, I might be uh, kind of showing my age here a little bit, but dating back to when I first got into, you know, basketball coaching, uh, I was a head prep school coach. And uh, one of the stops I had was at the Winchenden School in Massachusetts, um, and it was there that I, you know, we, 
we built a really nationally known uh, prep, prep program that still exists today. During that time, you know, we had a, a special talent. His name was Randell Jackson. He's actually from the Boston area. And um, I had the privilege to get a chance to, um, you know, develop a good relationship uh, with both Coach Dean Smith and Coach Guthridge along the way. Uh, they recruited uh, Randell, um, you know, uh, sadly or unfortunately, he didn't go there. Um, but during that experience, you know, I can tell you, um, you know, dealing with the Coach Smith and Coach Guthridge and really watching them, um, you know, taught me so much as a coach along the way. Back in those days, Jamie, um, recruiting the home visits especially had, you know, so much more value, at least in terms of, you know, the kids making the decisions on where they were going to even visit before they actually made their announcements. Uh, now the home visits, uh, you know, aren't as much of an emphasis as they were way back during those days. But I can tell you, you know, Coach Smith, uh, Coach Guthridge, uh, just delightful, uh, you know, people to be around, professional. And the one thing that always stood out, you know, for me was watching Coach Smith come into the home uh, to visit with Randell's family. And I was fortunate enough to be there. And, you know, he didn't really he didn't bring anything in the home visit. He just came with himself. And his personality, uh, you know, and his storytelling was just so sincere. And Coach Guthridge at that time was kind of, you know, his associate head coach and brought in this special sheet of paper and presented it to the recruit, Randell, and said that at the time they had every player who had played at North Carolina who was 6'8 or better, Randell was 6'11", were play, or was, was on playing some form of professional team. So it was really impressive. But just I just wanted to give that shout out. And during that time, too, ironically, although they didn't get Randell, during one of our games, Coach Guthridge had, you know, uh, was there before the game. And we actually told them, look, we're playing St. Thomas Moore Prep School tonight. They have a point guard who's exceptional. Um, and his name was Eddie Coder. And that was North Carolina's first chance to, to see Eddie. And obviously, he went on to go to North Carolina and had a great career. But I just wanted to share that piece uh, about North Carolina. They've had some great coaches, Hall of Fame coaches even. You talked about Guthridge and uh, Dean Smith there, Roy Williams. Now they're on to Hubert Davis, who was in year one of his regime. Hubert's taking over a team uh, that finished 18-11 overall last year, 10-6 and in the ACC. Uh, their fifth-place ACC finish landed them in, as an eight seed in the NCAA tournament. They took on Wisconsin in the first round, dropped that game. But you, Scott, first-year head coach last year, at Boston College when you took over the interim spot to finish the season out with them. What is Hubert Davis looking forward to, or what can he expect being a year one head coach and taking on the ACC? You know, I think there is a big difference in terms of, you know, moving seats as it relates to title. However, the experience that, you know, Coach Davis has had, you know, working on staff with Coach Smith uh, and all the other, uh, you know, coaches over the years – have prepared him for this opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, um, there is this big to do in terms of an assistant moving over to a head coaching position. Um, but when you're experienced and you've been around the block and you've actually come up the ranks and you've had a chance to learn under such great mentors uh, as Coach Williams, um, you know, Coach Davis, I'm sure, is going the transition won't be nearly as difficult as it would be, you know, for some other uh, coaches who are, again, a lot less experienced. Um, you know, Coach 
Coach Williams has done an unbelievable job at North Carolina. He's, um, you know, he's somebody that from afar, uh, somebody like myself has just admired, uh, learned quite a bit in watching their teams over the years. And again, you know, Jamie, Coach Davis is going to step in. He's going to do a remarkable job without question. And he's surrounded by such great, uh, such a great staff who all have North Carolina pedigree. And there's something to be said about that. You know, winning there, you know, means even that much more for uh, Coach Davis and all those guys because they've gave, given up so much of their energy. Um, they put in their, you know, their, their sweat to build that program as players. Uh, a lot of them have been in the system before, too. So um, I think, you know, with Coach Davis and all the Carolina guys behind him, I don't think the transition is going to be nearly as big a deal as, as maybe some other some others may think. To help kind of ease that transition uh, for Coach Davis in year one, he returns North Carolina's leading scorer and rebounder from last season in Armando Baycott, um, originally from Richmond, Virginia. Um, he's entering uh, this season, having averaged 12.3 points, 7.8 rebounds, 62.8% from the field last year. And it appears that Armando is going to be the focal point build around what he's able to do. Tell us a little bit. I know that you had to coach against some scheme, scheme against him. You've seen tons of film on Armando. What do you expect from him this season uh, under year one from uh, Hubert Davis? Well, Armando, you know, has shown great improvement. I think sometimes you come in, you know, as a freshman and, you know, you've got to adjust to so many different things. Uh, the speed of the game, you know, the physicality is specifically as it relates to the SC, uh, the ACC. And then, you know, you combine that with being a freshman and, you know, the academic side, the social side, living away from home. But you saw, you know, Armando take huge strides last year as the season went on. And, you know, he's a physically you know, strong, you know, uh, well-built kid, great athlete, um, you know, exceptional hands. And he's a guy that you saw his skill development last year, you know, really improve. You know, one thing about North Carolina over the years, Jamie, is they've developed so many players along the way um, and they've got a great formula in doing so. And, you know, in Amando's case, his skill set, um, you know, has developed his ability to pass, you know, shoot, um, and then the score at, at some different areas, the mid post area, even that high post area, as well as in the interior, um, you know, was so noticeable and on full display last year as the, the season went on. But I mean, he's going to have a great year this year um, and he'll be that that guy, I think, that comes in, especially in the front court with a lot of the guys they lost to be that focal point and that staple uh, to the North Carolina front court this year. And in talking about North Carolina's ability to develop players. They also returned their starting point guard from last year. Caleb Love came in. Uh, he was a freshman last year. He came in as a five-star recruit. And he took a little bit of a time to get adjusted to the college game. Um, he did average 10.5 points per game. But he had a 3.6 to 3.1 assist to turnover and then shot 31.6% from the field. He had stretches toward the end there where he was really starting to get a hold of things. He will again be the unquestioned point guard for this team. What does UNC need from Caleb Love in order to kind of fulfill uh, the aspirations that they have for their team uh, this season? Well, Caleb Love is a, you know, incredible talent. And again, you know, transitioning for any freshman, especially, you know, coming into the ACC and the way Carolina plays. I mean, you know, um, if you were to ask, and you'd probably, you know, know this just as well as I do, Jamie, you know, when you're on the road and, and you're visiting with recruits, 
every kid, you know, for the most part, wants to play in a system like Carolina's where it's fast pace system on both ends of the floor where they're trying to increase possessions, um, you know, against every opponent. And, you know, for any freshman, Caleb included a five-star, tremendously talented kid. There is a little adjustment period. However, you know, you saw flashes last year. I mean, he scored in double figures. Uh, he was a kid that for the year, you know, for the season, did have a positive assist to turnover. It was just within the ACC that, again, you know, teams are scouting you now. Um, and, you know, you're coming in and you're kind of being somebody that they're trying to, you know, kind of heat up on the ball, especially being a freshman. But he's going to be a guy that comes in this year, and I, I'm sure he's going to take a monster jump um, and, and be that point guard that, you know, matches the talent level in which he has for them this year. Um, you know, again, expect big things out of Caleb Love this year at the point for Carolina. You mentioned the fast pace and the speed with which UNC is known to play about. Last season, they were third in ACC play, 75 points per game. They were first in ACC play, 16.9 assists per game. Take us a little bit through their offensive identity and what it is that UNC has tried to do, some staples of the UNC offense, and then show us some, uh, show us some examples of, of how they play on offense. Well, yeah, and, and, you know, Jamie, first, before we get into the actual sets, let's just talk about – um, you know, how they recruit the type of player that really, you know, fits their system. That's the one, co you know, constant that we've seen thus far in every ACC, um, you know, uh, preview that we've done is how important it is for the players to fit, be system fits, we call them, within the style of play. And in Carolina's case, you know, again, they play at such a fast, high-paced tempo that the players that, you know, they recruit have to have motors. They have to be able to get up and down the floor consistently. And they've got to play every possession with tremendous energy. And, you know, again, you know, when you think about Carolina, you think about a team that if you're, you know, again, us at Boston College, when I was there, you're probably going to have around 70, 75 possessions per game where the possessions increase against a team like North Carolina just as that's just the way they play and so you know with that you know you've got to be ready coming into every game uh, to make sure that you are understanding that number one your transition defense all five guys every possession maids misses block shots um, are, are going to matter and you know with that you know turning the ball over you know is something that they will you know try to you know, really pick up the pressure and, you know, with some certain traps that they like to run and to really get out and convert to easy baskets. But it does all start with transition, Jamie. And I, and again, I'd love to get in here and show you, you know, some of these offensive clips and their identity as it relates to their primary break in terms of how they run and what they're looking for. And also the secondary break, you know, we all know, you know, the name North Carolina or the Carolina break is something that, you know, you see, in every, virtually every gym across the country, colleges, division one, two, three, high schools. I've even been internationally recruiting where I've heard teams, you know, call their break, the Carolina break. That was something that, you know, um, developed uh, during the Coach Smith era. And, uh, you know, we'll show a little bit of that too. But without further ado, let, let's get into this offensive identity and show Carolina's transition. One of the big things about UNC offense, the question marks, I guess, coming into this year is the three-point shooting. Now, they do return Kerwin Walton, um, the sophomore. He shot 42% from three this past year. 
uh, scored 8.2 points per game. They also returned R.J. Davis, also a sophomore part of that same class, averaged 8.4 points. And they also uh, – Anthony Harris is coming back uh, after his 16 games last year, 11 minutes per game. Um, these guys will be getting time. We talked about Caleb Love earlier. These guys will be getting time at the one and the two, uh, possibly in Walton's case, maybe th- playing the three a little bit in a small ball lineup and all that. What do we need to expect from this team in order for this UNC program to get the most out of the talent they have on the roster? Last year, you know, Jamie, their, their overall three point uh, field goal percentage as a team was around 31%. And I think that, you know, this year, um, you know, that's one of the um, uh, recruiting, you know, things that they addressed, uh, as well as I'm sure on the individual development of these players in the offseason, you know, they got a ton of shots up. I mean, last year was such a, you know, um, a different type of year with COVID that, you know, you lost that whole summer of individual skill development where guys couldn't get in the gym as much as they would have wanted to. But, you know, in this offseason, um, and going into, you know, the fall, uh, I'm sure these guys have all gone on uh, with the sh- on the shooting gun. They've been in individuals and they've all, you know, spent a lot of time, you know, again, getting repetition, shooting the ball. Um, you know, last year, you know, if you looked at, you know, their best three point shooter was Walton, you know, um, you know, and him coming back is going to be something that I think is going to be a huge asset to them being able to stretch the defense. I mean, Curran Walton, you know, shot an exceptional high rate. I think he was around last year, Jamie, I think he was around what 42% from the three point line. And, you know, that's a tremendous number uh, when you talk about three point shot, you know, field goals made. So um, they're going to count on him and, and then all the other guards for that matter. I mean, you know, look at Davis, um, you know, Anthony Harris, you know, I mean, those kids are going to be, you know, counted on to, to also make shots at the same time, you know, a lot of those guys collectively, um, you know, can pass, they can dribble, they can shoot. And with the speed in which Carolina plays, and I'm sure coach Davis is going to continue to play the Carolina way. And that is fast. Uh, the depth of that guard position is going to be crucial to them as it relates to the success of this year's team. And there's that the talent is there and everybody's a year older with added individual development, you know, uh, expect a huge jump in that area for them at the guard spots. One of the more unique players on their roster, kind of a Jack of all trades uh, type of player, Swiss army knife, leaky black, six foot eight junior coming in. He averaged 5.6 points, 4.9 rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1.2 steals per game. Long arms. He's got ball skills. He can defend multiple positions. How does Leaky Black kind of fit into what they have as a team? And and how big of a factor will he be this upcoming season for this UNC team? You know, I'm I'm anxious to see the jump that he's made, Jamie, because, um, you know, to, to your point, you know, he does a little bit of everything. Um, and you know, that little bit of everything last year, um, that, you know, he took that responsibility on, you know, he just wanted to do whatever it took to help Carolina win. And that's the one thing about leaky black. That's so impressive. Um, you know, if he needs to make shots from the three point line, he's going to do that. If he needs to drive the ball, get to the free throw line, finish at the rim athletically, he'll do that. And at the same time, if he needs to make his teammates better, um, you know, he had an, uh, a, a, you know, for a kid like him who does so many things well in terms of being able to score at all three levels, he also has the rare ability to make his teammates better. So he is a very versatile guard. Uh, to your point, Jamie, 
you know, you could do a lot with him in terms of defensive uh, pressure switching. Um, you know, I, I'm anxious to see the jump that he's going to make because he's the type of kid that could come in and just have, you know, that, uh, that huge, you know, that huge difference maker that, you know, Carolina has been kind of looking for. Uh, Leakey has that type of talent and he has that type of winning mindset that you just love to see as a coach. So, yeah, I think he is destined to be one of those, you know, Carolina special type players. Off this last year's team, UNC lost three of their bigs. Dayron Sharp to the NBA draft and then Walker Kessler and uh, Garrison Brooks to transfer. With that, they lost 55% of um, their block shots per game last year, which ranked them 22nd nationally. And they um, third in total rebounds nationally, and they lost 41% of that. Incoming, however, they brought in the 6'11 sophomore Dawson Garcia from Marquette, 13 points, 35.6% uh, from three, 6.6 .6 rebounds per game. They also brought in Brady Manick, the super senior out of Oklahoma, 37.5% from three, 10.8 rebounds, five or 10.8 points, five rebounds per game this season. Obviously, this is this is looking like a shift, possibly in style of play, maybe going a little bit more spread with the shooting ability that Garcia and Manick have. What do you see from these two players and how do you see them fitting in to the style of play that UNC is going to have this season? You know, Jamie, I'm not sure it's it's as much of a shift as I think, you know, you could kind of look at only because, you know, they're still going to play the Carolina way, right? You know, transition, getting up and down. Um, but when you add two guys of that size, and I think to your point, they're both exceptionally skilled players. And, you know, you talk about the experience. I mean, Manic, you know, is that what you call that, what I call that super senior, right? This is his you know, he's got that extra bonus year this year, uh, the transfer from Oklahoma. Um, you know, he put up, I think as a junior, he was around 14 points per game, um, you know, and then last year, you know, around 11 or so, but, um, you know, exceptionally skilled. He's had games at Oklahoma. He's had eight threes in one game. So he can, you know, at his size, he can really shoot it. He can pass it. Um, you know, he gets up and down the court. Um, again, we talked about their three-point shooting Last year, in terms of a, a little bit of a lower percentage, um, you know, he will definitely be a guy in the front court um, that can make threes, you know, at a high level. And the, and the other side of that, you know, is, is going to be Garcia. Again, you know, left-handed kid, another skilled, super skilled front court guy. Um, you know, he led all freshmen last year in the Big East in scoring, um, you know, from Marquette. So he's battle tested right around what 13.8, 14 points per game uh, rebounder also. But, you know, when you add two guys with that type of skill who also have that type of experience to, you know, um, to a front court, you know, that they have a Baycott coming back. Um, you know, you really have a formidable front court now in the ACC. And then, you know, let's not forget about, you know, McCoy coming from Virginia. Um, you know, he might not have the, uh, you know, the experience that, you know, both those two guys, even though, you know, Garcia was only a freshman, but, you know, in terms of playing and being counted on to score like that, but he's also another formidable front court guy who's versatile. And so, they, yeah, they address that need. Um, you know, with them losing last year, I mean, they lost, you know, Brooks last year and losing him. I think, you know, they've addressed that uh, to your point with some real skilled experience big. So, yeah, 
Um, you know, Carolina's front court, I think, took a huge upgrade uh, in that in that department. With the speed in which North Carolina plays, trying to get 70, 75 possessions every single game, how hard is that? Or what does UNC try to do on the other end of the floor throughout the course of the game? And what is their identity, um, you know, being known so much for offense, what is their identity on the defensive end? As a coach, you know, Jamie, I think that's one of the most um, – you know, underrated, you know, uh, things in terms of a mindset of a team that, you know, you've got to really tip your hat, you know, to the, to the North Carolina coaches, obviously coach Williams and his staff and what they've been able to create there. Because when you have a team that is, you know, so predicated on playing fast uh, on offense, sometimes, you know, the defensive side of the ball, you know, will, will, won't mean as much. And that's never been the case with North Carolina. You know, their defensive identity, Jamie, is this. Again, every great defense starts with pressure on the ball and they will they will heat the basketball up. Um, they also really try to get up into the passing lanes and, you know, they don't really want passes to be made one pass away, you know, as easy as some of these other teams that we've talked about uh, in terms of being in gaps. They really want to get up one pass away and deny uh, those passes. And then when you talk about personnel and how well they've recruited over the years, you know, you always have a great presence at the rim, right? So if someone does get beat, there's always somebody back there, you know, that is a presence at the rim that can change shots at the rim. And that's somebody that can block shots. So with all that combined, their defensive identity, you know, um, has been this, you know, great pressure, you know, really trying to create offense through their defense. I mean, to get to that 75 possessions per game, um, you know, which they were, I think a couple of years ago, last year was around 70 or so, you know, they really have to increase possessions during the game and they've got to get themselves some easy baskets from their defense, creating to easy baskets on offense. So, you know, I think that's the one thing that you'll see with North Carolina when we start showing, you know, some of these defensive clips is, you know, the multiple ways that they can create offense through their defense, the multiple ways where they can increase possessions throughout the game. Because again, if you're, you know, um, coaching against them, the one thing that you have to be mindful of is this, when you have a team of, you know, year in and year out with the talent level, with the depth that they have, um, usually a team that has that type of talent and, you know, has that type of depth, if the game has more possessions, it's an advantage and a benefit to that team as opposed to a team that be, be a little less talented um, or a little less in terms of their depth. So Carolina plays to their strength, um, and that's what they're trying to do. And let's get into some of these clips. Let's show um, you know how they do this and what it looks like. But again, Jamie, I think the one thing that's been really um, you know kind of uh, lost in all of this with North Carolina in terms of how hard and how fast they play on offense is they do get after you defensively. And, uh, you know, you've got to be ready um, to play against that type of pressure and value the basketball. So without further ado, let me, you know, get into some of these clips here. So this very first possession, we're talking about North Carolina in terms of their pressure on the ball. And again, you know, what they're trying to do is create offense through their defense. In this possession here, you'll see great pressure on the basketball including their bigs, the Carolina one pass away defenders are trying to deny their offensive man, 
the ball. And look at Notre Dame's having to catch the ball to create, you know, get into their offense. Now it's late clock and you'll see North Carolina just on a random high ball screen, just trap it. And what they do an unbelievable job of is understanding interceptor, interceptor, goaltender. So in this case here, you're seeing the North Carolina defender who was furthest from the ball now shoot the gap one pass away. We would call him an interceptor. The strong side guard here that's guarding Jogo in the corner, he'd be the other interceptor. And then you have a goaltender protecting the rim. And this little formula in terms of trap, two interceptors and a goaltender are really standard in North Carolina's defense, whether they're in their man and they trap a ball screen or whether it's in some of the other traps that we're going to see here coming up. So you can see how they can turn their turn defense into offense very quick. In this next possession, you're going to see them make no bones about it. They're just going to run at the ball. And when they run at the ball, again, you're going to see the same shape two interceptors and a goaltender where they're denying one pass away strong side. And then you're going to see two pass away. He'll drop and be the goaltender. And again, just trying to create a faster tempo and at the same time to create some offense through their defense. And that's what Carolina has been known for defensively. In this case here, you're going to see a little face guard action, full court, um, you know, where they're making it hard coming up the floor. And again, you know, you can imagine, you know, you've worked hard to get it up the floor. And now on the first pass, they trap it. The original offensive man, which in this case for Virginia, I believe, um, I don't know if that's Kyle Guy, but he makes the pass or Jerome, Ty Jerome. And you'll see the Carolina defender again, you know, shoot the gap. And it takes the shape once again, interceptor, interceptor, goaltender. And he just jumps up in the air and look how fast the ball advances for an easy basket. It never hit the floor. And when you talk Carolina's offense in terms of their secondary primary and all the stuff that we've talked about, you know, their defense creates a lot of opportunity for easy baskets and they're just as good transitioning on a steal or block shot as they are on a Mr. Made shot. In this next possession, you're going to see on a ball screen, a high ball screen where they just trap it. And again, interceptor, interceptor, goaltender. And then on the pass up the sideline, they actually stay in the trap. And again, they still stay in that shape where they have interceptor, a great trap, by the way, where their hands are high, their feet are trying to lock. You can see that trap right there where they're really closing the trap and making it hard for the offensive person to see or player to see anyone that's open. And again, interceptor, interceptor, and you know they create another opportunity for them to get an easy basket. You also have to be ready for side out of bounds. So in a side out situation where you expect you know you're going to get the ball in bounds and run something, you could see them again just run at the ball, and you know you can see how fast they are at shooting the gaps, and again trying to create some offense. You know through their defense is vintage North Carolina. Uh, as, as it relates to their defensive identity. You know, overall, Jamie, when you watch North Carolina, and there's a reason why, you know, they score so much, you know, so many points, you know, year in and year out. And they do it on the offensive end. Uh, we know that. But they also create a lot of 
easy basket opportunities through their multiple trap situations uh, defensively, keeping that same shape with two interceptors and a goaltender, no matter what trap they're in. So North Carolina didn't really have to go far to bring in their recruiting class. They brought in two top 75 prospects, six foot four. DeMarco Dunn, number 63 ranked player, Rivals.com from Fayetteville, North Carolina. And they went to Kinson, North Carolina to pick up number 65 player overall, Dontre Styles, the six foot six uh, forward. I know that you've seen these kids play. I know that you uh, go to the film, probably recruit them a little bit as well. What can they expect this year, and what can the North Carolina faithful see from Dontrez Styles and DeMarco Dunn? Let's start with Dunn, Jamie. I mean, Dunn is a kid that I've seen live. I've seen him on film. Um, you know, very, very talented young man, um, a kid that really has a pure three-point shooting stroke um, and is consistently somebody – that is going to be a threat, you know, from the three point line. And when he steps on, you know, campus and he's getting ready to tip off, you know, his opening night games and moving into the ACC, you know, he's a guy that you're going to have to defend and find in transition because of his ability to make shots. The other thing about Dunn that's a little bit, you know, um, uh, kind of misleading is that not only is he an excellent three-point shooter, but he can actually do it at all three levels. You know, his mid-range game is there. He can get to the rim and he can finish um, deceptively athletic. And, uh, you know, looking at where Dunn is as an uh, incoming freshman, I mean, you know, he's he ranks up there with some of the best freshmen in the ACC, you know, coming into this year's class um, in terms of his talent level and his, you know, his ability to impact what Carolina needs most in terms of addressing that three-point shot. You know, when you get to Styles, you know, he's kind of that, you know, hybrid forward, you know, can play either of those forward spots. You can play small ball with him. You could play, you know, play him big, um, you know, but again, you know, another guy that is, you know, um, a kid that is, you know, a little bit, maybe not the three-point shooter yet. And I say that yet because, you know, he didn't have to do as much or didn't show as much as Dunn has, but, you know, we have seen him, you know, quick first step, you know, straight line driver, get to the rim. Um, you know, he was a little bit more skilled than I think people gave him credit for. There were games that, you know, I actually saw him bringing the ball up the floor as a point card at his size. Um, I think he'll bring some tenacity, some versatility on both ends of the floor, great energy. Um, so, yeah, both of those freshmen uh, are going to impact the Carolina program in a very, very positive way on both ends of the floor. Um, but I think, you know, again, what, what Carolina did was use that transfer portal to their advantage this year and really, really addressed, you know, that front court with those transfers. So, yeah, combined with the freshmen and the returning guys and the transfer portal uh, players that they, 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 they recruited here late, um, you know, Carolina is another potential, you know, um, sleeping giant this year in the ACC. This being a UNC uh, podcast, us breaking down North Carolina during the off season, uh, Roy Williams, Hall of Famer, announced his retirement from the University of North Carolina. He'd been on the sidelines for the past 18 years at UNC, three national championships at UNC, five Final Fours. He took them to uh, he 16 of 17. Um, NCAA tournaments he went to. He was a staple, again, Hall of Famer. What in your mind, having coached against him and game plan against him for the past 10 years, what is his legacy? What does he mean to the game of basketball, and how did he help grow the game of basketball? 
You know, Jamie, let's start first with the loyalty that, you know, is, has been created in terms of, you know, the Carolina family, you know, um, you know, coach Smith was at Kansas and he was, you know, uh, really, you know, you know, doing unbelievable things at the university of Kansas as the head coach there. Um, And when coach Smith, you know, he retired, excuse me, coach Guthridge had taken over, um, you know, when the changing of guard came, you know, he actually, the loyalty that he showed in leaving Kansas to come back to where his roots were, that's where he started um, under Coach Smith, um, just speaks volumes to the commitment uh, of the Carolina family. And, you know, you can't help from afar to really appreciate that. Um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you, you get caught up in, you know, well, you know, this coach wants to go to that school because, you know, X amount of dollars, there's more money, there's more, it's, you know, better area. But, you know, to me, what really kind of stands out uh, about Coach Smith is the loyalty that, you know, he has shown um, North Carolina and, you know, how he's, you know, built his program, um, you know, within the Carolina family um, and the way they've played, you know, um, you know, they, they've come in, they've established an identity, especially, Again, you know, everybody recognizes the Carolina break. And there was even a time, you know, during Coach Smith's t- uh, tenure there, and I don't know if, uh, excuse me, Coach Williams' tenure there, that they went to four corners, you know, to honor him, you know, um, when Coach Smith had passed away, Coach Guthridge. Um, just an unbelievable tribute, um, you know, the, the old four cor- corner offense that Carolina used to run when they used to spread the floor when there wasn't a shot clock and you had Kenny Smith up there and Phil Ford, um, you know, to, to, to see that kind of loyalty and appreciation. Um, I think some, some, you know, again, it lost in all of college basketball, you know, that there, there is a lot of people that are very loyal and committed, um, you know, to their programs. And it, it isn't just about, you know, um, the money or the city, you know, it's about, you know, the tradition and, you know, being loyal to the, to, to your beliefs, your philosophy and your family. So that's, that really stood out to me, Jamie. Um, you know, when you talked about coach Williams. Two things for me, obviously I'm on the recruiting side of things. I'm on the media side of things as well. So two things to me that stood out about Roy Williams, obviously unbelievable coach, the history, the wins, all of that. Thing number one was he was an unbelievable interview. Uh, Roy Williams, he needed one take. You ask him the question one time if it was recorded or whatnot, and he would go on, just tell the most incredible, poignant stories. Uh, he would treat everybody every single time that I, have, I would interact with him, whether it be on the record or off the record, um, talking about whatever topic it would be we would talk about. He would give the most poignant, great, just long-winded stories and answers. Um, You know, he didn't need any prep time. He didn't need any of that. He would just come down. You would ask it to him. He would take a second and then just answer. His his ability to manipulate and maneuver around the media and his friendliness toward the camera was something that I I won't forget. Um, You know, as, as not many people have that like he did. And the second thing kind of goes along with that within his personality. Obviously, you know, going out to recruit players. He was a very recognizable figure. He would have the UNC blue on, um, you know, it has become such a thing and identity. Carolina blue is now a color. Um, 
you know, you would see that in the stands, Roy Williams, and he would talk to everybody. People, especially in this region, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, in this region, he would go recruit a player, sit in the stands. He would tell them, wait till, wait till halftime or wait till the game's over. I'm watching right now. And the second that halftime hit, there would be a line out the door to go talk to Roy Williams. He would shake every one of their hands. He would say something to every one of them, take pictures with the kids. He always had time to talk to his fans. He always had time to talk to the people. He wasn't one of those ones that snuck in the back door, left early, or did any of that. He sat among the people on these recruiting trips. And when the game was going on, he was focused. He would watch the entire game and, and, and do all that, talk to the kid after the fact, or, or interact in that way. But every single fan that would line up, he would stay until the end, shake their hands, talk to them. He would tell a story about them, take a picture with them, do all that type of stuff. And that's so genuine because that's something you don't often see or you don't see a lot like Roy Williams. That always impressed me and stuck out, um, you know, because I was in the gyms with, with Roy a lot as well. Uh, on the recruiting trail and everything too. And every single time he would have a line out the door and every single time he would talk to every single person there, um, you know, and, and he, all the wins that you have, the lasting memories that you have on people is the way that you make them feel. Roy Williams had a way to make people feel special um, when he, when he would uh, interact with them. And that's something that I'll remember about him. Yeah, that's well said. You know, last thing I'll say, Jamie, um, and I'll just add to what you said, because you mentioned recruiting at the end, you know, for as many years as I've been in this, um, you know, in coaching, you know, you kind of you know, look around the gymnasiums and starting in the spring during that, you know, open period into the summer and even into the fall. And, you know, Coach Williams was one of those head coaches that really put his time in recruiting. And I think there's something to be said about that. You know, I, I you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, in this recruiting game, um, you know, there's people that take, you know, different approaches, right? Maybe they use the video side of it. Maybe there's a, um, you know, they trust somebody. But, you know, you always, when you were on the road, you know, um, at least where I was at and a lot of those gyms, you know, he would be coming through there sometimes eight in the morning games, sometimes 10 at night games in the summer. He was committed to the University of North Carolina, to his coaches, to his staff, to the entire university, and most importantly, his players, and really trying to make them the best program they could be. And again, you know, to your point, Jamie, you know, when this is all said and done, you know, the, the, the three national titles and, you know, um, you know, everything that he's done in terms of winning, you know, the impact that he's made on, as you mentioned, a lot of people, and also a lot of coaches, you know, he's been a tremendous, um, you know, role model because, you know, again, for all of us who are coaching, you know, in the college game, it is about recruiting. You have to put your time in, you have to be in the gyms and, you know, and again, you know, whether you're in a blue blood like North Carolina or whether you're at a place that, um, you know, when we were at, you know, Texas A&M, you know, it's, it's all about going there and really, evaluating and making your own decisions on what players fit, you know, to your style, to the program that you're recruiting to. And I think nobody, you know, put more effort and more time in doing that than coach Williams. So you got to tip your hat to talk about recruiting. Obviously it's the lifeblood of any successful um, program. 
you had great success in, in North Carolina. I want to talk about a player that you got to come up to Boston College, turn him into a pro, and, and watch this watch this stream down in Havelock, North Carolina. You brought Kai Bowman up to Boston College. Tell me the story. Take me through the story of how you recruited Kai and, and how you got him up to Boston College and, and how he developed into who he is uh, today. You know, Jamie, that's one of those stories. And, and every coach along the way has, you know, their recruiting stories when it comes to every player, especially those that go on to be what we would call special NBA type talents. And in Kai's case, um, here was a young man, you know, from Havelock that I had to, you know, fortunately, I saw him play at the Peach State. He wasn't on the so-called circuit, the sneaker circuit. Um, and I saw him in a little back gymnasium uh, playing for, you know, for his AAU team, Team Wall. And during that time, you know, we were kind of a little bit unsure on where we were going as it relates to that point guard position. And when I saw him originally, Jamie, um, you know, th there was a young man out there that was just bringing incredible energy on both ends of the floor. You could see that maybe whatever he did not have skill-wise, he made up for it with max effort and energy, played every possession with an incredible motor. At the time, I had no idea that he was a football player, Jamie. I really didn't. But I should have known because some of the you know, uh, passes that he was intercepting and some of the passes that he was catching, as well as you know, him diving for loose balls. Um, you know, he had that physical aggression that I'm sure started through football. Um, and then it came back, you know, all around when I went down there, you know, and we met with their football coaches. Um, you know, they told us the story about, you know, how Kai Bowman was, you know, um, you know, being recruited by North Carolina in football. Um, and, you know, they wanted him. He was going to go there, you know, and play. Um you know, he came from a family. His brother was a tremendous football player. Um, and so, you know, the original, you know, plan for Kai was, and this is another, uh, I think, another point that for hopefully young viewers or the audience that are listening, and that is every kid has a different path to where they're going. In Kai's case, he was actually set to go play football at the University of North Carolina. And then, you know, something changed. He said, look, I, I want to play basketball. And so, um, you know, when I went down and, and again, you know, we you know, met with the football coaches. Um, I wanted to ask the coach, you know, what was your take on it that Kai quit football or he stopped playing football his senior year? Could you tell me a little bit about him? Did something happen or give me a little under background, you know, of the kid? And he looked at me with, you know, with, with his, you know, in his eyes and, and right into my eyes. And he said, hey, coach, I got to tell you, in all the years I've been coaching here at Havelock, I've never had a kid that every player, and I mean every player, voted team captain during his time there. Kai Bowman is a special kid, you know, who, you know, um, works exceptionally hard and he's a tremendous role model, um, you know, for all his teammates and other classmates. You know, coach, you, you got a diamond in the rough there, you know, um, and even though he's not playing football, which I wanted him to do, um, you know, he's going to have a successful career in basketball. And so from there, Jamie, um, this is what stood out to me after, and you made reference to this, after all the talent that he showed on the basketball court, I happened to be down there on senior night. And during that game is when, you know, I called, you know, Jim Christian, Coach Christian, you know, uh, it was actually um, immediately after the game. And I said, Coach, he is our guy. And this is why. 
So senior night, they introduce, obviously, as we all know, the players, the families. And, you know, this this one night I was actually they were playing, you know, uh, at Havelock and it got to Kai Bowman and his family. And when they introduced him and his family, not only did the side that, you know, the home side stand up uh, and really give him a, you know, an ovation for his efforts during his time at Havelock, the away team the entire away team's audience, coaches and players stood up and, and, and gave him a, a rousing ovation. And it was at that point, you know, in, in our, you know, um, you know, quest to build Boston College at the time, you know, changing the culture was something that we were trying to do. You know, um, right after the game was over, you know, I called Coach Christian and said, hey, Coach, look, this is our guy. And, you know, Coach had already – bought in and he wanted them anyways, but I just wanted to add a little bit more to what he brought talent wise, because, you know, um, he is a special kid and he's impacted a lot of others. And, you know, uh, at Havelock as, as well as at Boston college. And, you know, Jamie, I, I think sometimes in these podcasts, we don't have a lot of time to really touch base on all the players, um, whether they're kids that we didn't recruit or did recruit, but I'm hoping that at some point we can really, tell the Kai Bowman story because I think it is a very powerful story um, as he continues still to go through adversity on his path to get MBA stability. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the, that was, uh, that was another interesting story in the recruiting uh, side for, for Kai Bowman. Absolutely fascinating. I mean, your, your recruiting record, I, I just love sitting and listening to the stories of, of, you know, how you come about, you know, taking these under the radar guys and, you know, seeing them through and you seeing, trusting your eye in it and, and taking them through. This is just another example. Uh, Kai Bowman down my way. I was very familiar with him as well, but uh, great, great story. Thank you for that. Um, unbelievable episode here, guys. That wraps up our episode on the University of North Carolina basketball program uh, for the upcoming season. Make sure, please, that you go back and check out the previous episodes that we have. This is our fifth one. Um, you know, we have Notre Dame, Florida State, Duke, uh, Virginia, previously make sure you go check them out on whatever platform you're listening to whether it be youtube whether it be on the podcast uh, wherever you consume your content at please also make sure that you uh rate us five stars uh, if you would leave in the comment section below what you think of this unc team i want to hear from you we want to see what you think about this team uh who you think is going to step up um and then rate us uh, five stars and then also share it if you like it and let us know after you subscribe uh, to the channel uh, but thank you guys so much for checking in with us. Please continue to stay tuned as we take our uh, path through the ACC. For Coach Scott Spinelli, I am Jamie Shaw. We'll see you guys next time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.